0: All right! It's our first episode back without any guests!
1: Yeah. It's kind of weird, right?
0: Uh Oh? What do you
1: mean? Well, I was just so used to guests being around. Hearing their voices, their great voices. It's just... it's just really quiet is all.
0: Well, nothing's wrong with just you and me. No, no, no.
1: You're... you're right, of course. But,
0: well... Besides... We can really dig in and just be us again. Remind ourselves why we made this whole podcast to begin with.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right, sweetheart. You ready to talk about comics? Yes.
0: I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earths.
1: The podcast where nothing will ever be the same.
0: Welcome, readers, to our third episode of the Phalanx Covenant.
1: Well, fourth if you count our excellent Leah Williams interview.
0: Yes, was an absolute delight. Not officially part of the Phalanx Covenant crossover, but definitely very X Men related.
1: Would you call it an episode tie-in?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Maybe, but one of those very indispensable tie-ins.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Like you know that that asterisk should be like huge, like half the page, right? Right. Right.
1: (laughs) Well, anyway, on tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about my not-so-favorite of these kind of sub-stories in the Phalanx Covenant crossover, Life Signs.
0: Yeah, readers, we've made it no secret in the previous few episodes that our feelings about Life Signs are complicated.
1: That is a diplomatic way of putting it, (laughs) Christine.
0: You know I'm great at diplomacy.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, readers, we're, we're hoping you guys are all having great weeks, and we hope this one will make it a little better. But you ready to dive in on the summary already? Summary! X-Factor 106, written by Scott Lobdell and Todd Dezago, penciled by Jan Gersema and Roger Cruz, inked by Al Milgram, colored by Glenis Oliver, lettered by Richard Starkings, and edited by Kelly Corvace. X-Force No. 38 is written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Tony Daniel, inked by Kevin Conrad, colored by Marie Javins, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Bob Harris. Excalibur No. 82 is written by Scott Lobdell and Todd Dezago, penciled by Ken Lashley and Stephen Epting, inked by <coughs> Philip Moy, Harry Candelario, W.C. Karani, John Floyd, and John Livesey. Colored by Chris Mathis, lettered by Dave Sharp, Edited by Suzanne Gaffney and Bob Harris.
0: X-Factor 106 starts with a metric ton of X-people meeting up at Mont St. Francis, an abandoned monastery that for some reason can conceal mutant powers. These folks include government team X-Factor, the paramilitary -er teen-er-team X-Force, and the usually fun and whimsical UK-based Excalibur. For more details on these myriad members, please check out our Christie and Chris Mess Up the X-Men episode. After a brief, who-can-we-trust tussle, they discovered that they've all been summoned by Professor Xavier to answer the threat of... Phalanx? Professor Xavier relays the harrowing escape of Excalibur from Muir Island, wherein their cool plane blows up and they have to swim to shore. Conveniently, this happens to be by this place that shields their mutantness from the phalanx.
1: As the various team members argue about what to do next, Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, and Sam Guthrie, Cannonball, go confront the strange gestalt entity-slash-resurrection of their friend, Z-Duglock. See, Duglock is an entity created from the phalanx and also from the former New Mutants warlock and Doug, who with the help of a villain's robot has broken away from their control. Rain sees her good friend Doug, while Sam sees a bit of a horrifying monster. ruh Now Forge happens to arrive, who sees Duglock as something akin to perfection. See, Forge's superpower is intuitive inventing, and Duglock here is really something to behold for him.
0: Well, it wouldn't be a Phalanx Covenant story without a wacky Hodge and Lang aside where Lang is upset at the appearance of the various independent agents of the Phalanx, such as our agent du jour, Shinar. Shinar is kind of a wolf-looking Phalanx, but honestly, he isn't very interesting beyond that.
1: Forge, Wolfsbane, and Cannonball listen intently as Duglock reveals the origin of the Phalanx from the ashes of the deceased Warlock, as well as his own incarnation and rebellion from the Phalanx. Remember, this whole thing started as a big gambit—no, not that gambit—to combat the threat of mutants. Well, after Duglock's info dump, he decides to basically just kidnap Forge, Wolfsbane, and Cannonball. However, he also tries to stick a techno-organic finger in Forge's mind to gain access to his unique techno-site. I promise this comes up later. While the other members of the three teams try to stop him from taking off, he manages to teleport away, saying that Babel awaits, and Babel must be stopped.
0: The next issue, X-Force number 38, begins with the foursome of Forge, Cannonball, Duglock, and Wolfsbane, who were not really kidnapped, trying to find the Phalanx base of operations in a little hamlet. Cannonball still doesn't really trust Duglock but Wolfsbane still basically sees him as their old friend, Doug Ramsey. The other team is trying to use the slight presence of the transmode virus on Kitty Pride to pinpoint the location of the phalanx, while Professor X astrally projects to speak with Forge and crew. Forge is seeming to start to think that maybe the phalanx is not so worth destroying after all, while the professor tries to get him to see the reasoning of stopping an entity bent on genocide. Forge is becoming slowly techno-organic due to his earlier exposure from duglock. The four find the phalanx nursery spread out in a large valley.
1: The Mont Saint Francis crew has pinpointed three phalanx hubs, which nicely correspond to our three crossover stories. The crew argue over which ones to find first, and ultimately decide to stay put and let Cannonball and the others do some recon before they strike. They are attacked by a newborn phalanx, and Xavier realizes the awful truth. The phalanx will assimilate every single bit of life on this planet. Not just that, but that Forge is very much okay with this. Xavier is blasted back to his body, where he sends a team via magnetic bubble to travel to the phalanx base and kick some tail.
0: The issue closes as Duglock covers the other members of the party in a techno-organic cloak to infiltrate the phalanx, where they finally come upon the Babel Spire, a huge transmitting tower that signals the phalanx in deep space to come to Earth.
1: Excalibur number 82 starts as our Fearsome, well in this case Fearful, Foursome comes face to face with Shinar at the Spire. It turns out the evil robots are using Soylent Green to make up their Spire, which as we know is people! Forge is taken away to serve as a midwife to the next generation of Phalanx. Remember, he is somewhat brainwashed at this point by techno-organic stuff. Duglock tries to play Possum by subduing Cannonball and Wolfsbane, but Shinar sees through his ploy and condemns the trio to be part of his grim LEGO tower.
0: We get a quick interlude in which poor Shatterstar just really wants to go fight, and Havoc has to tell him and Warpath to just chill for a bit. Then poor Forge is led to the weird Phalanx egg pods, where Shinar tells him that even though Forge totally doesn't want to, he's definitely gonna help the Phalanx. Poor Forge. Back in the tower, Duglock has partially absorbed Cannonball and Wolfsbane, explaining that the Phalanx can't see the mutants, but that he's going to have to absorb him on his way to destroy the tower at the top. Cannonball and Wolfsbane tell him that no, in fact, they tend to work as a team, and so Duglock relents to the non-robot way of doing things.
1: The crew from Mont St. Francis approaches the Phalanx location in the Alps, aboard the same magnetic sphere that now looks completely different, and also are all wearing completely different clothes. Okay. Well, anyway, they attack the phalanx as our former new mutants reach the top of the spire, which has already begun to send its signal. Duglock states that a life force is needed to interrupt the flow, and while Sam states that he'll do it, Duglock jumps
0: in. Nightcrawler locates Forge and desperately attempts to assist him in both resisting the phalanx and also destroying their eggs. The rest of the ex folks find Cannonball and Wolfsbane mourning their new friend as the Babelspire turns back into people. However, Duglock reforms, stating that, unlike the Phalanx, he has something to live for. Hooray! Speaking of living, or maybe not, Forge sets up an Energy Bleed to destroy the Phalanx nest, finally finding his humanity to fight for. Alright, no more Phalanx stuff.
1: Well, Christy, did you like these three issues?
0: So I feel like each issue on its own has some redeeming qualities, but I also feel like there were definitely maybe, I don't know if it was editorial issues, but at least issues blending these three into one.
1: This definitely seems like the other two portions of this crossover were come up with, and they went, "Oh, we still have other X books. I don't know, just throw them all together."
0: Yeah, because looking at when things were coming out, we first see the Phalanx in Uncanny. Yes, and we then we we get Duglock a couple of issues before this crossover starts
1: in Excalibur.
0: In Excalibur, right? So. Yeah, it seems a little bit like, you know, this is the plan of how we're going to bring in Generation X. And we've got a bit of a failing story that's been happening over a period of time so far and uncanny. And, of course, Wolverine and Cable can just be awesome doing whatever.
1: (laughs) Give these guys guns and hand knives.
0: Right. And then these three just kind of seem like how many X-Men can we jam into these three issues? and? You know, we can applaud their effort.
1: But it's honestly too many people. And it's it's clearly even like, I don't know if lampshaded is the right term, but they definitely just like purposefully leave some people out of the crossover other than just having a couple lines.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, they're there in the panels. They may interject a couple of things, but you can only have so many stars in a story and they just tried to stuff a lot of great characters that could have had some interesting stuff go on. There was just too many of them.
1: Right. It's in, And it's interesting who they picked. Like, I totally get Wolfsbane and Cannonball being two main characters in this because Doug and Warlock were their friends.
0: Right. They were part of the New Mutants together.
1: Right. And before we go a whole lot further, I think we have to get into why Douglock is not good.
0: Oh, yeah. So Douglock, it's... So... Doug Locke
1: is called that because there were two characters in New Mutants named Warlock and Doug Ramsey.
0: And we talk a little bit about this in our Chris and Christy mess up the X-Men.
1: Right. Whereas Warlock is like an alien boy whose dad wants to kill him because that's just the way that their species works. And he can kind of shapeshift and he's kind of quirky. He says stuff like self-friend when he means like my friend. Mm-hmm. And he calls Doug Ramsey his self-soul friend, which is like his best friend.
0: Right. Right. And they even had somewhat of a like a gestalt form prior to Douglock, when Doug was still alive.
1: Right. And the whole deal with Doug is he starts as Kitty Pride's friend who's like a townie, And then it turns out he's also a mutant too.
0: Right. But he's a really he has really fairly boring mutant powers they're not at all combat related they're he just like they're
1: visually boring
0: they're visually boring right yes there's a lot of really interesting things that can be done with them but he just understands lang- language any language just any language codes it. so you know computer language he understands all that 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 which becomes very useful to him later on
1: but like in the real world his power would be amazing
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. He'd be able, he'd
1: be able to be like a, a fantastic diplomat. But there's so much punching in X-Men
0: comics, Right. And, you know, <laughs> talking really doesn't coincide well with punching. We really need to get Doug Ramsey and, like, Squirrel Girl acquainted. Oh, it would be awesome. I would
1: love a Doug Ramsey Squirrel Girl. Um, I don't know if Doug Ramsey is still, is alive right now. I think he is.
0: Well, I know he came back, but I don't know if he's still back. I'm a,
1: I'm a bad X fan. I, I can't remember him from any recent X-Men comics I've read, but he would be pretty good with Squirrel Girl, just talking their way through issues.
0: Oh my, yeah, because Squirrel Girl's all into computers, computer science stuff too, like stuff that I really wish I understood. I always wish, you know, I could like code. And I know I, if my co-teacher ever heard me that, she'd be like, you can code, everybody can code. But you know, I I just think that's I think that's really cool. I love that about Squirrel Girl. But I'm getting off topic. So that's Doug Ramsey. So he was kind of boring. So they killed him off.
1: He was literally killed because fans were like, he's boring. Why is he here? And so and Louis-
0: artists were even like, he's boring to draw. Why is he here?
1: And so Louise Simonson was like, fine, I'll kill him. So she did. <laughs> <laughs> he died in like a hail of gunfire, and it was kind of like they didn't realize it until. The shooting was all done.
0: Right, right. He took a, a shot meant for Wolfsbane, which right. is part of a big reason why Wolfsbane is so, so drawn to Duglock in this issue.
1: It's kind of like on board redemption.
0: Right, right. You know, she feels like it was, it was her fault.
1: Right. And she is like the, she is the character who is definitely like, this is Doug And doesn't even call him Duglock, just calls him Doug. Right. And Cannonball is just like, ugh. You're not. You're not either of my friends,
0: right? And the reason he's not either is because basically they just took Warlock's ashes and like Doug's memories, and this is where like the Phalanx kind of came about on Earth.
1: Yes. Now the Phalanx are. So I said the Phalanx in space in the in the summary. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be signaling the technarchy.
0: Right. It, it's so that to me is so strange because. The phalanx, as we understand it, are somehow, they're somewhat created from like warlock and alien technology, but they seem like they're something that is very human created, but has some sort of link to this this phalanx or techno organic species in space. We don't, not sure if it's phalanx themselves. Like, no,
1: it, it's supposed to be the technarchy, which is like warlock's race. Oh. Right.
0: Kinda? Which isn't very clear in this the, crossover.
1: Right. The technarchy doesn't like assimilate people. They turn people into techno-organic and then just like absorb their life energy. So they're like a lifeless like, metallic husk.
0: Yeah. So Doug Locke is just a robot with Doug's memories, but not necessarily... And
1: he looks like and he, Doug Locke, And he looks like, like, like Doug. Doug. He's, got, he's got the Chris Edelman so hair
0: part. he's a machine, Doug.
1: He is. And it turns out later he's just Warlock. Yeah. But that's much later. Yeah. But anyway, in this crossover, the reason why Douglock is not great is because like Warlock was fun and quirky, and Doug Ramsey was like a good kid. And Douglock
0: Doug Lo- is neither of those things. He's
1: neither quirky nor a good kid. Right? He's a bad kid. Yeah. He is like...
0: Well, I, I is he bad, or does he just have like no sense of morality? Like
1: he's a robot kid. So it's a true neutral kit,
0: very neutral. Yes,
1: but his true true neutral is totally cool with like absorbing people a lot.
0: Well, I think Doglock gets that all absorbing all of humanity and you know ending the human race is a bad thing,
1: right? But he does it to his friends more than once.
0: But not like permanently.
1: No, but he infects Forge with the techno-organic virus kind of just by accident because he thought it'd be useful.
0: Right, but to him that because he thought it would be useful, he he's not right. doing anything maliciously. But because he doesn't have that moral compass, he does a lot of things that we would consider to be not good stuff.
1: He's kind of like a Spock. He's 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 definitely a needs of the many sort of deal, but also with like a. a for misunderstanding of
0: humanity. Right. Like I feel like our three year old has a better sense of right and wrong than Doug Luck. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh. organic three year old?
0: Ooh. That's terrifying. Oh. I feel like that is a that's not a true neutral there. I feel like a techno organic <laughs> three year old would definitely be more on the more on the evil, on side. The they're evil very, side. They're very they're very me centered. Yes. Except our child, which is a perfect angel.
1: Yeah, and we will never hear a, a <laughs> wrong word against him.
0: So that's yeah, that's kind of the deal with
1: Duglock. Um, also, Duglock has whatever the hell powers he wants.
0: Well, right. I mean, we we've talked about, like, how cool it would be to, like, be a phalanx but not, like, the assimilating kind of phalanx. Because there's so many things that you can do. He
1: turns into like a you hulked can, up Doug at yeah, one point. You can which like is, shapeshift
0: into whatever. You can you can curl yourself into a ball and like disappear and teleport?
1: Yeah, y'all Duglock grabs everybody and turns into like a Duglock pill and then poofs out of existence. What? Yeah, and everybody's like, like oh, I guess they're gone. Uh, <laughs> no warning. I was just like, oh, is so he gonna turn into a spit? nope, not a spaceship. He just uh he's Turned into like a little pill and then poofed out of existence. I love the little panel with Hulky because he still has that like goofy like well, I don't know if it's goofy, but that like I am a young lad and my hair is parted to the side and he still looks boyish but he's like, I'm a big hulking Duglock boy. Yeah. (laughs) It's very weird. He's got big shoulders. (laughs) What about the other the other central conflict which is like the exact opposite? So Duglock is trying to learn is like the Pinocchio. He's trying to be a real boy. Whereas Forge is trying to not succumb to being a robot man.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I mean that's the really interesting thing about Forge and and his powers here is that even before like he gets infected with the technoorganic virus, like he sees Duglock for the first time and he just you know, his his insight or whatever, his intuitiveness with machines, just he's like awe struck by Doug.
1: Yeah, it's very Doug like Locke. Doug is Douglock is his Sistine Chapel.
0: Right. Where it's he just sees it and it's
1: like holy crap.
0: I mean, and given all the things that Doug Douglock, I keep wanting to say just Doug, what am I Wolf uh- Spain?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what am I Wolf's <laughs> Beep, 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 beep.
0: <laughs> but I mean Doug Locke can do so many things and we just keep hearing about like this beautiful simplicity or order and organization. So, you know, I guess a world in where everybody is the same being is probably, I guess, a pretty peaceful one, except... It's for... just
1: really boring.
0: Yeah, there's, like, no free will.
1: Yeah, not great.
0: Would there be, like, art? Can you imagine, like, the phalanx painting?
1: It'd be it'd be very, like, hyper-realism.
0: The Borg don't
1: really do art, if I recall, but they always say, like, your culture will adapt to serve us before they assimilate you. I feel like that's just something they say, because Borg don't really have a culture. Their culture is, like, chilling out in pods.
0: Yeah, that's so sad.
1: It is so sad.
0: I don't know. What's better, like, world peace and an end to, like, starvation? Or, like, having the ballet? This
1: is maybe questions that are a little too deep for our, <laughs> our comics
0: podcast. <laughs>
1: where we sometimes have our yucks.
0: Well, in this place, the X-Men have clearly taken a side uh, on that, that debate. It's better to have ballet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> X-Men pro-ballet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, Kitty Pride, I think, did dance classes for a long time. So the X-Men should be very
0: Yes, like. yes, I'm fairly certain you're right there. Also, can we mention that Kitty Pride's dad always seems to have something going wrong? Like, I feel like this gets brought up in this issue. What
1: happens to Kitty Pride's dad? She's just
0: like, you know, she's talking about being all distracted and all these things that are going on. Like, Hiliana's just died. Oh, yeah. And what's going on with her dad? And I'm like, wait, what's going on with your dad? Your dad, there's always drama with Kitty Pride's dad.
1: When was their other drama with Kitty Pride's dad?
0: Oh, in the Kitty Pride and Wolverine <gasps> That's uh, right. series. That's right. One of the only
1: X Men books that you'd read prior to this. Uh,
0: well, yes, chronologically prior to this. I mean, and totally. <laughs> okay. I mean, I yeah. Uh, but yeah, her dad gets like kidnapped by like Japanese gangsters and like it's
1: kidnapped by Yakuza's yeah oh my goodness yeah
0: hence Wolverine there yeah right we Wolver- get that connection Wolverine and
1: Japanese ninjas. it's like <laughs> something you would how do
0: they go hand in hand it's they like just chocolate do.
1: and peanut butter two great tastes <laughs> that go great together I like how we're saying Japanese ninjas when ninja's are, like very much a Japanese word and we're just being like I super... said Japanese
0: gangsters
1: <laughs> you did I said Japanese ninjas. Oh, geez.
0: For, also,
1: Kitty Pride needs to be more involved because she was besties with Doug.
0: Right. Yeah, you would think. But I think she had some interaction already with Doug Locke in previous issues.
1: That's fair. So it'd be like, it's for us, it's like, we're like, what the crap? Yeah, but coming into the like, crossover. Yeah, there's been previous Excaliburs.
0: Because, yeah, she's she's part of Excalibur. She is. So in the last two issues, we've had Doug Locke in there.
1: This is also this. this first issue has the real like Kitty Pride is drawn like Kitty Pride's supposed to be like sixteen. And I feel is like she's
0: still sixteen in this? Yeah. And okay. I feel like oh, I don't feel like any of no, the characters <laughs> in this were drawn at an age that would be appropriate for the way that they looked.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um Wolfsbane's supposed to be really young too. I think Cannonball is maybe the only one of the crew who's supposed to be like 18. Maybe Kitty Pride 17 at this point. She turned 16 during Excalibur. But it's like one of those like very much like let's draw all these teenagers way older than they actually are. Right. Or in weird like provocative ways. Right. Every single lady in ish- the second issue of this oh my is gosh. just popping their popping their hip. The
0: second the second issue. I I'm, I'm glad that I took a look at the artist's later work. Before we went in to talk about this issue, because I was just going to bash on him. But this is some of his like earliest, earliest stuff. This
1: is a lot of all of their earliest stuff. I know a lot of these artists by their later work. Jan Dersama, she did like a ton of Star Wars work for Dark mm-hmm. Horse. I think even, you know, there's like that one hardcover we have downstairs of Star Wars that I think you read a bit of and you were like, oh, this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think that's her. I could be wrong, but I think it is. She just did a ton of Star Wars and is like really good. And Tony Daniel, uh I, you know like some people have issues with Tony Daniel, but he's like a competent artist who's like I think he literally drew Batman this month.
0: Right. We just we have in these issues we have a lot of uh perfectly spherical chests yes. uh for the ladies and a lot of like hips popped and like just unbelievably tiny waists. It reminds me of like, I feel like all of like the nerdy boys in middle school had these books about like how to draw comics and they would like trace things. And I feel like this is exactly what all of it looked like.
1: Well, how, so what age would you have been? These books were coming out, Um, these how to draw comic books. Oh,
0: like in in middle school, you know, so I was like 11, 12. So so late 90s, early 2000s.
1: Well, this was like 94 and this is a lot of this is very much kind of the legacy of like the Jim Lees and the, the Rob Weifelds and like even Marvel house style was just kind of this way with like the, like, right. I mean, every,
0: every person look like they are in a bodybuilding competition, like even in the way that they stand Mm -hmm. to like, accent accentuate like all of their muscles and really make their waist look slim. Yeah.
1: That's definitely a Jim Lee thing. And that's, that's even something that people have said, like it's good about Jim Lee. Like a lot of like his, a lot of like, female characters tend to be, like, pretty sexualized, but they also look like they're about to, like, work out. Like, a lot of them look, look very, like, strong. Right, I mean,
0: nobody looks, like, shrimpy or frail, whereas I feel like some of the Emma Frost art from Generation Next, she was just very slender and long and lanky and really didn't look like she was that powerful. She just looked kind of sexy. Whereas these women, I guess, do... do To give credit where credit's due. They do look like they could kick your butt.
1: They also just look like they could maybe not stand up at all.
0: Right. It doesn't look (laughs) (laughs) believable.
1: Right. Although I
0: feel like I have seen some, like, bodybuilding friends of mine on Facebook post pictures, and I'm like, I don't know how you exist. That that waist is, like, so 80... I'm like, maybe it's all in the posing. Like, it's got to be all in the posing, right? And, like, maybe you don't eat for, like, 24 hours beforehand, and then it's just how you look like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely possible. But it's not how I've ever looked or ever will look. (laughs) So to me, it's just, it's almost kind of comical. Like, even in how they're, they're all very similar to each other.
1: Yeah. Um, There's panels where I couldn't tell Amanda Sefton from a few of the, like, from, for example, like, Lorna.
0: Right. I'm right. like, uh. And Lorna's hair is, like, supposed to be green, but in some it was... Yeah. There's... It was so, like... I mean, anybody that had, like, vaguely blondish hair kind of looked like the same person.
1: There's also just, like, an absolute ton of crowd shots at Mont St. Clair. Oh, and yeah. And so there's just, like, a ton of people all
0: at once. Right. I kept having you go back and be like, okay, who are all of these blondes. Wait, that's not supposed to... She's supposed to have red hair. What? I I don't know.
1: Where's Kitty? She's in a weird sphere getting scanned for something.
0: Oh my god. I don't understand why she had to be suspended in a bubble in the middle of a lab. Like, you know, she couldn't be in, like, a hospital bed or even... In know, like a tube of fluid. That's something that makes more sense to me or something, but you like, Star
1: Wars trained mind. You're like <laughs> tubes of fluid. I understand that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, very healing and therapeutic.
1: So she's like in a swirling maelstrom ball.
0: And she looks like she's in so much pain.
1: She is. And Moira McTaggart's like, that's fine. Amanda, just keep making spells to calm her down. Some, some like give her, give her some doses of <laughs> right? sedative spells, and right? it's like there are actual sedatives. <laughs> <laughs> oh. no, we don't have them handy.
0: Can we talk about how much I love Strong Guy? Strong. This is my first exposure to Strong Guy ever. To
1: Guido Carosella. Oh
0: my gosh, I want him in everything, always.
1: Oh, you would love the X-Factor investigations run of X-Factor, where they're running a private investigations firm. Strong mm-hmm. Guy is one of the main characters, and it's very good.
0: I love how he takes care of, like, Professor X, since Professor X can't have his wheelchair now because it's <laughs> phalanx invested.
1: Yeah, because he decided that he was going to trust in a super technological wheelchair. It's the cool floaty one that you all remember from the cartoon. Mm-hmm. But it turned into a phalanx. Which <laughs> and tried very... to
0: destroy everybody.
1: <laughs> tried to kill everybody. That's why they had to blow up their plane. And now he doesn't have a wheelchair. Poor guy. It turned into a robot and they had to blow up their plane.
0: So Strong Guy just, like, carries him. I don't know why he has to go to, like, the top of the tallest tower to enter the astral plane or whatever. But Strong Guy carries him up there and looks out for him. (laughs)
1: Because Professor Xavier loves drama. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
0: Okay. But I still... Doug kidnapping Forge, Wolfsbane, and Cannonball. And yet, after they've been kidnapped, they're still like all right, cool.
1: It's for the, the, it's the greater good. I just, and what are they? It's so weird that they have to go undercover and they're like, well, we'll just be on the lookout for this massive structure. That'll, that'll look like a weird flower. And that'll be the nursery. Oh, here it is. How the heck did we miss it? It's huge.
0: (laughs) Right. Why did we have to go undercover? Right. And like the bam, like, Okay, if Douglock could just roll up into a ball and teleport you wherever, why wouldn't he just take you right there?
1: See he didn't know where it was. I don't know. It's comics. Like we could <laughs> we could nitpick it, but it's Right. That was
0: awesome. I do was think it's kind of fun what their disguises were in the like they were in like a little village in the Italian Alps or something. Yeah. And they look like they're in Kentucky in Cannibal at Cannonball's home.
1: They totally do. Rain is wearing like some capris, a straw, and a straw hat. hat. <laughs>
0: I'm like what? What? How does this scream Italian Alps?
1: <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, country people. Here they are. Well, do you think that that's because? Um, I guess Forge was the one who disguised them. Do you think Forge just doesn't know anything? He no, had,
0: it was it was Stucklock that disguised them.
1: Forge made a little holographic thing.
0: Oh, was it was just, Forge like, that did that.
1: He made like a little pen, and he's like, check it out, holographic thing. Oh. Yeah, do you think Forge just doesn't know what people in Europe look like, and he just assumes they're all like bumpkins?
0: Well, I mean, I feel like all of our exposure to European peasants have just been them wielding pitchforks in X Men, <laughs> and trying to like kill Nightcrawler, right?
1: Yeah, there's just they just round them up. They're like, all right, guys, we and eat. Wolfsbane. and Wolfsbane. Oh, have you seen the the Spain?
0: No, yeah, yeah Wolfsbane know. didn't get furry till later. I'm thinking about Megan. Megan had the peasants. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
1: I mean, Wolfsbane eventually does have
0: peasants. Like, let's not. There's a shockingly
1: large amount of angry peasants that go after mutants. Megan, also, barely in this comic, she's just like, I'm a perfect being now. And they're like, Neato. (laughs)
0: Because she's just, like, recently got some sort of weird new kind of magical powers.
1: Yeah. Like, she always could, like, kind of shift herself. And I feel like she's just, she's just like got it all together now, but she was always kind of like fun loving and whimsical. And in this comic, she very much seems like she's like, like apocalyptic future Megan, where she's like, I have, I I know everything and stuff. She's like storm Megan. (laughs) She's a little, she, she doesn't have pupils if I remember right. (laughs) So yeah, there you go. Also, uh, Megan's beau, Captain Britain, or should we say Britannic? Uh,
0: We never figured out why. uh, Did you figure out why? Rachel
1: Summers saved him from the future, but he he had somehow been like trapped in the future. But when she saved him, he came back and was Britannic and like remembered weird things from the future. So he's literally like the weird future captain Britain with the mullet. But like, you could tell that the writers are like, oh, no. And they just basically ignore him. This, these entire three issues. He does some, he has some rad punching uh, mm-hmm. in a flashback. And then otherwise he's just like, does that stance that all the men do in this where that it is very much like feet, shoulders, like the part like arms to the side. Giant it's like muscles. action
0: figure pose. It is
1: yeah, there's a lot of action figure posing. i
0: I'm mm-hmm. um,
1: speaking of everybody's favorite action figure, Shatterstar. <laughs> that poor dude is like the is like the Saint Peter of trying to kick butt. <laughs> Whereas instead of him denying three times, he just gets denied three times.
0: Oh, I know he doesn't get to do like anything.
1: He's like, "Can I go?
0: Can I go kick butt?" And
1: Havoc's like, mm, "Sorry, man, we're not kicking butt." And later he's like, "But, but this time I can kick butt." And they're like. No, not this time. And the third time he's like, no, are you serious? We're kicking zero butt? We need to kick at least a a larger amount of butt. And Havoc's like, no, dude, we are kicking absolutely zero. And Warpath's like, we just thought we'd ask, man. But Shatterstar (laughs) is like clearly pissed off. That dude has like two modes and one of them involves lots of swords.
0: Yeah. Does the other involve like whipping his ponytail back and forth?
1: Breakfast cereal.
0: Oh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's like, it's weird that like X-Force doesn't really get to be X-Force.
0: No, none of, none of the teams get to operate as a team.
1: Nope. They're just, they're, there's a bunch of hanging out people. And then you got,
0: your you get the on. kidnapped people and then everybody else trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Yeah. And then like the team that actually goes in are the team that the stealth team. That goes to try and find, you know, this mysterious phalanx that has made a humongous spire that could probably be seen for, like, a hundred mile radius.
1: Yeah, and uh, so that's that's kind of the whole Shinar thing. Whereas is like a wolf pig phalanx. He
0: looks like none of the phalanx that we've seen so far.
1: No, a lot of them seem kind of, like, so we get, like, the kind of hulking, bulky phalanx in Generation Next. And we get, like, the kind of more, like, human and flowy phalanx mm.
0: in... To me, the phalanx, for the most part, have, in the other parts of the crossover, just look like spiky humans.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the bit in Final Sanction where, like, um, gosh, was, Larissa gets, like, blown apart and you see, like, Oh, bits her of tiny her little bits. Oh, yeah.
0: That's creepy. That was
1: really creepy. This
0: one they're just, like, bumpy. <laughs> Shiner, he just looks like a giant lizard, he's red a, lizard phalanx. He's a bumpy what? lizard boy. Like, why would a phalanx pre- present that way?
1: Yeah, and he doesn't seem to really have an origin story other than this is Shinar. He is he is our villain this week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our our villain in Generation Next was Harvest, who was clearly a dude who chose to become a phalanx.
1: Whereas I think Shinar is like definitely just a phalanx, but like, what right. was he assimilated from? Was he a dude? Was he like a? Was he like a? Pig and a and a wolf and a lizard assimilated together.
0: Uh, who who knows? Because
1: we we did establish in Generation Next that there can be phalanx rats, mm-hmm. rat
0: legs. And I I keep wondering at what point in this crossover does uh, Stephen Lang you know have his change of heart? Because I feel like
1: after this, I guess after kind of? this, Stephen Lang in this is like the most like you know the bit in Two Towers. Where the, the ants are wrecking Saruman's place. And he's just kind of antsy up on his little balcony. Uh-huh. That's Stephen Lang in this. He's just like, <laughs> man, there's a, there's a phalanx and they're getting all mouthy. and they're, mm-hmm. they're They
0: got all... independent thoughts. What's that all about?
1: It's like a mom when their baby starts saying no to them. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is this?
0: Oh, side note, our three year old has stopped screaming when he doesn't want to do things and now just says no repeatedly.
1: But he doesn't even go he goes no.
0: No. No. He used to just go, ah
1: Well, this is maybe I, an I think
0: I think this is an improvement. I mean do you it's, think?
1: do you think Shinar at one point, like with Lang, Lang's like, Shinar, like you need to eat your vegetables. Ah! <laughs> but now Shinar says no. But he's like Lang just cannot deal with it. Can we get Hodge for a second with his robo-dreads? Yeah,
0: because it it just, it seems like, you know, Lang's really all upset at this independent thought. Whereas when we see him in the the last issue of uh, Final Sanction, he's the one with the independent thought trying to overthrow the phalanx. Right. I
1: I don't know. It is it is kind of strange. I wonder if that's supposed to be, like, him figuring out that it's something he can exploit. Maybe. He's like, I don't like this. Wait a second.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe
1: I do like these green eggs and ham.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I just... And that brings up, like, even within this arc of the crossover, the things that are inconsistent between the issues that I just feel like were... Is that just an editorial oversight? Like, for example, we've got... When some of the members of the X team try to uh, travel to go find Forge and Wolfsbane and Cannonball and, I guess, Duglock, too, yep, they decide we can't travel with any sort of technology, so we're just going to have Polaris suspend everybody by the metal in their blood, and then we're going to have—is uh, is it Amanda— does it, it... I can't
1: remember if it's Amanda who spell wa- wafts them away or if it's Siren who's like screams Oh, no, it's them
0: Siren. Away. Yeah, Siren using her scream just screams them away. Mm-hmm. And they begin this method of propulsion, which is like, okay, yeah, you know, you get enough X-Men together and everybody can fly somehow. It just always seems to happen.
1: Are they a good witch
0: or <laughs> a bad witch? <laughs> <laughs> but then in the the very next issue... We see them traveling in just, like, this metal craft that apparently has no technology in it, but that Polaris is just piloting. They're
1: also wearing matching X-themed armor.
0: Yes. And I just, you know, I want it to be better. I'm just I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Oh jeez.
1: At least the armor looked pretty cool. It
0: looked rad as heck. <laughs> I am not going to dispute that at all. <laughs> I loved it, but it didn't make sense.
1: Uh, we can we can figure this out. Maybe on the way, Polaris was just grabbing random pieces of metal and just like forming it into armor for everyone.
0: You know, we'll go with that. She even made the whole ship around them. She's like, it's a lot of work just to hold you up by your blood.
1: <laughs> also, maybe uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Why does my blood feel like it's coming out of my body? Like, would you get like bruising on the like upper oh side? Oh my gosh!
0: If she was just like propelling, like lifting you by your blood. It would have to, right? Like, burst some capillaries. You'd probably have, like, a lot of bruising and some serious edema. Yeah.
1: Also, this... this is uh, They can control you by your blood. A power that is maybe not used as often as it could be because it seems so broken. Magneto could just, like, explode people. <sighs> Ugh. Is I mean... Lorna better at her powers than Magneto? Because she can... Po- pick you up by your blood but i've never seen him explode anybody
0: well i mean Lorna didn't explode anybody
1: right she just picked them up by their blood
0: right maybe I mean, she
1: maybe she can't explode
0: i mean if she can move your blood she could stop your heart from beating
1: probably and she does it for like 10 people
0: right Man. and doesn't kill them like i feel like if you were just to move people's blood you'd have to continue like their entire circulatory system
1: oh good point because blood's like always it, moving
0: right it wouldn't just be stationary blood it would be moving blood
1: Lorna is very good apparently way beyond what we give her credit for way to go good job Lorna Dane mm-hmm. doing that good work <laughs> that, that blood lifting
0: <laughs> oh. Oh.
1: if I ever go to a plastic surgeon I'm going to ask them to give me a blood lift
0: oh that's bad no it's that's good. very bad it's so good <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was definitely the biggest, the propulsion method was definitely the biggest inconsistency for me. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else huge that stood out to me that was not consistent between issues.
1: I mean, the art was different, but that's not, that's, oh. Dudlock's
0: text bubbles were different in every issue.
1: Yeah, there were different letters.
0: Right, which, I don't know, that brings up just such an interesting challenge in crossovers, like how much continuity can the reader expect?
1: I think it's gotten better as time went on. But this is even kind of like a loose crossover. It's tight in some ways and like loose in others. Like you can still basically read every single one by themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, you, you,
0: I mean, most com- comics, I guess, you get cliffhangers at the end. But I don't right. feel like if I was reading the Excalibur run, if I just picked up Excalibur eighty two, and then I would be like, good to just keep reading. I don't know.
1: Also, we're probably getting cl- kind of close to wrapping up. These comics were very long, and I looked at the oh, prices yeah. for the time; they were really expensive. Oh, were they? They were like three bucks in the 90s. Mm. But they were each like 30 plus pages. This was by far page-wise the longest crossover or the longest story in this crossover.
0: Right. And still our least favorite. Yeah. Bigger is not always better.
1: Sometimes bigger is art is is very easily worse.
0: Right. I think it I think it's definitely more challenging to tell a good story in a shorter amount of pages. And I think when you have to condense like that, what you get is very good.
1: Yeah. Kind of a distillation. Yeah. Well, We didn't really like Duglock. The Forge story is pretty good about him grappling with his humanity. I like the Forge bit better, but it also seemed to be set up in a weird way. Like, you don't know how much of the struggle was him or it was like him being taken over. Right. Anyway, yeah, Shinar is not a great villain.
0: Also, we should listen to Cannonball more.
1: (laughs) Always always listen to Cannonball more. I guess Duglock's, he's he's around to stay because he wants to be a real boy. He didn't want to disappear. Right. Also, um, there's a bit where the human beings are in from the town are being turned into the spire,
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: best part about it once they blow up the spire, they all just turn back into people
0: right like this is like the lowest casualty level, like.
1: Everyone's fine.
0: It, yeah, it just turned out great, which I'm really glad about because you saw all the people getting lined up, being mind controlled to become part of the Spire, and there was like families with little kids, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah, there's a lot of body horror. Oh. But
1: we're all going to be done with body horror. We're only going to have, you know, people.
0: We're still reading comics. Yeah, body horror.
1: <laughs> well, Christy, are you ready for some accolades?
0: Yeah, let's move on to some accolades. All right, Chris, do you want to start with your best line? All right, my
1: best line comes from Strong Guy, Guido Carosella, when he's talking to Nightcrawler while he's guarding Professor X during his astral projection thing. Kurt is like, "Are you going to be are you going to be good watching over Professor Xavier?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he goes it says or until we're all, or what's it I told him not to worry. He said I'd stand watch over him till he telepathically found Forge and the rest or until we were all food for the worms. You know what I mean? Nightcrawler says, I do. My apologies, Guido. I have no doubt you will do just that. And then we get the Guido Carousel soliloquy where he says, and I'm not going to try to do it in a Jersey accent because I would, I would butcher it.
0: Oh, but it's it's beautifully written in there. It is.
1: Just watch, Kurt. Let any of them give Killer Carousel a try. I'll moiterize them. Juggernaut, ha! He's a lightweight. Exodus, shrug him off like water off a duck. And then uh, Kurt says, what about the Impossible Man? That green alien
0: pesty guy?
1: Him? I'll need help with. (laughs) It's very good.
0: (laughs) I loved that one, too. I kind of wanted to pick it for my best line, but as soon as I read it, I was like, Chris has already chosen this, and I know he has, because (laughs) it's great. So my best line, I kind of like. It's kind of different for me, but my best line comes from Cannonball. And Shatterstar has just said something very Shatterstar. And Cannonball says, seems like every time Shatterstar opens his mouth, I'm the one who gets embarrassed.
1: (laughs) You adding the accent was pretty good. I'm not sure if that's an Appalachian accent. To our Appalachian (laughs) listeners, we apologize if uh, we're butchering. That is pretty good, though. That's a real Cannonball line, too. Like, yikes.
0: (laughs) Oh, just... And I felt it played Shatterstar very much was made to look like a goob throughout this.
1: Yeah, poor Shatterstar, like he's the wharf of this crossover where he's like recommend Ray Shields, and they're like, no. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, all right, coolest moment. What is your coolest moment?
1: My coolest moment is when the it's definitely a magnetic bubble, but now it's a technological sphere lands and like it, they like explodes out and they're all like jumping into action we have our first daily double
0: <laughs> yep definitely have that panel right here on my screen it is so cool their explosion out of there all in their like super awesome actiony poses they're in these cool outfits that appeared somehow randomly the metal is exploding out and we see all the weird spiky phalanx in the background and some in the foreground as well that they're coming out to attack and they just they look so rad
1: (laughs) they do look very cool and i i need i needed to look at their styles more I'm, i'm just not you know, I always say I'm a comic enthusiast, not a comic expert, but I think that that's Brian Hitch who did that. And it's Brian Hitch later is like, he's like the dude, but that's a really good panel. It might, that might've been a Lashley, but I, I think it, that was one, that a Hitch panel.
0: Well, it's also got, you know, my favorite, the phonetically written out sound effects. We have a big chakoom, <laughs> and a uh, siren is also... I love how the letter E is streaking out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. like
1: That's how they do Banshee and Siren, like from time immemorial.
0: It, it just looks very nice because it fits in beautifully with the explosion going on behind her. It's just beautifully in sync with that.
1: Man, a good letterer. Does so much for a comic, mm-hmm.
0: and plus, I think we we might have Boomer in here, not called Boom Boom yet, but uh, or well, was called was called Boom was Boom, called Boom, Boom, Boom not now ba- now Boomer. So she gets to actually like do something here.
1: Yeah, she she blows some dudes up with mm-hmm. her time bombs. Yeah, it's a cool panel. I'm glad I'm glad we were in sync on that one.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> it makes me glad I didn't choose the same <laughs> favorite line because we'd be pretty boring then.
1: All right, so Christy, who is the greatest hero?
0: So, my greatest hero I chose really because I just wanted to be stubborn and not choose Douglock. Because, yes, Douglock blows himself up to save the day, but he also just gets to stick around afterwards and made a lot of really poor decisions in the process. So, I say Douglock is definitely not the greatest hero. And the greatest hero I'm actually going to give to Cannonball. Okay. Because he was like a really <laughs> sane voice of reason. Like, the only reason he gets involved with Douglock is because Rain is just like emphatically convinced that Douglock is Doug and he's like, Douglock is a machine. He's not our friend. You're you're going just a little bit nuts with grief here. We need to take a step back and we need to not listen to this robot, Dougman.
1: Alright, Christy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Greatest Wolf Wolfsbane. Okay. Cause she convinces through her affection and belief in Douglock that he is in fact a real boy and, oh. conv- and helps him along the path.
0: That her unwavering support and love for what she believes is her friend really does convince him in the worth of humanity. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I see it. It's beautiful. I wish I'd put it together myself.
1: Well, anyway, we still have villains that are silly, but not that many. This might be a daily double just on default
0: uh silly villainy for me has to go to shinar
1: uh yeah mine is also shinar but i want to know why yours is i mean there's, there's, there's okay one villain.
0: mine is shinar specifically because he somehow somehow in this story we have to have forge in charge of the nursery for any of the eggs to hatch what sort of super villainy villainous race requires one specific x-men for the continuation of their species
1: yeah they really goobered that one huh yes for me it's shinar but for a similar reason but he also just trusts that forge is going to do it and just like doesn't leave any guards or anything really and there's like there's like a billion opportunities for him to mess that up it literally nightcrawler shows up by himself and is like you can do it forge and forge is like yeah thanks bud i sure can (laughs) And, like, nobody is there to stop them. Right? So Shinar just really counted on that. The Phalanx just sort of seem like they almost have their stuff together, but just never do. So maybe maybe they're all silly villains. Mm. Every one of them. Every one. Equally silly.
0: So we made it through.
1: We did it. We did Phalanx Covenant with so many guests. So we just wanted to extend again another thank you to Chris Sims, who joined us for our final sanction episode. To Everett Christensen, who joined us for our Generation Next episode.
0: For Leah Williams, just coming on to talk about her wonderful self. And
1: yeah, it was really great that you were all able to join us. Um, I honestly cannot imagine getting to talk to some of my heroes like that.
0: To all of our new listeners that we've gotten, we've been uh, spreading out all over. I love seeing all of the new places that we get listeners from on our analytics uh, welcome to our podcast uh, we will try to have more awesome guests for you in the future but know that if you aren't already convinced that we are delightfully charming just us too as well so you we hope that you stick with us
1: yeah um it's probably going to be a little bit before we have guests again but uh, christy can you tell everybody what we're going to be doing next
0: Spider-Man, Spider-Man, right, but not just not just
1: just Spider-Man,
0: Spider-Verse,
1: yes, we're going to be doing Spider-Verse, so we will probably just be doing the main title and then the edge of Spider-Verse bits, but depending on some special stuff we can maybe try to get happen, we might do a little bit more. But that, even with just this that stuff, that might occupy us to like the middle of November, which will be close enough to the Spider Verse movie that's coming out in December. Yay! All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Chris's Pod.
0: You can also email us at chris's on infinite earths at gmail dot com.
1: We very much appreciate five star reviews on iTunes, Stitcher. All the cast places. Uh, We we also appreciate five-star reviews on Facebook. And if you give us a five-star review, we will read it on the air.
0: Yeah. So we'd love to shout you out and hear what you think about us. Hopefully it's all great stuff.
1: Yeah. Don't give us those four-star reviews.
0: Yeah. You know, email us. Tell us what we can do better to make your listening experience more enjoyable.
1: Right. But we are not going to be less wholesome, so don't even try it.
0: (laughs) Alright, well thank you for joining us and until next time
1: Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. Imagine, if you will, a podcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a place where the only limit is that of the imagination. The sidepost there is on your left, the podcast sound. <laughs> I'm not
0: deleting that. I'm saving it for a blooper.